0: From baseball's top personalities... The great Chris Russo joins us once again. ...to the game's top players. Joining
1: us is the All-Star.
0: Matt Chapman with us. You never know what
2: stories you're going to hear.
1: If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend.
2: This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend.
0: Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. I'm Chris Townsend, and on this edition, you're going to be hearing... From the pitching coach, Scott Emerson. As Emo and I were texting back and forth, and I said, you know, we haven't heard your voice in a while, and I think A's fans would like to hear uh, from Emo. He's a great interview, so you'll hear from Scott Emerson. Scott Miller, one of the top baseball columnists in the country, works for Bleacher Report, will be by to talk about the madness that's going on right now, especially with sports. And then Paul Hembakides, Hembo, the top producer and researcher for ESPN, Joins us every single week now. Is uh, he's not in Lower Manhattan. He's actually out at his parents' place, uh, hunkered down in New Jersey. So always a lot to break down with himbo. And then Bill Shaken from the L.A. Times. Crazy. The last four years because of Time Warner, and then a big company bought Time Warner. That Dodger fans haven't been able to see their team play on television really for four years. The majority of Los Angeles wasn't able to see the Dodgers. It's absolutely crazy. So they now have a new deal with AT&T and we'll get into that. But leading off is our man, the pitching coach of your Oakland athletics, Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of your Oakland athletics joins us and emo. It's just one of those deals that people miss certain voices. And you're one of the voices we've truly missed here on a's cast live. How
3: are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys?
0: Uh, let me tell you, I, uh, we talked to uh, our boss today and said, hey, man, we, 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 we need to go three hours. These two-hour shows are not doing it. I can only play so much Monopoly. I can only watch Frozen 2 so many times with my kids. It's time to get back to work.
3: I, I, I agree 100%. You know, uh, I'd love to be out there working right now.
0: So what have you been – everybody's kind of doing deep dives on certain things with their spare time. What, what have you really been concentrating on?
3: Well, I uh, you know getting back to watching some of the TV shows that I watch, uh, spending time with the wife and the dog, and uh, I've actually done some baseball stuff, you know I, I've uh, watched some video, uh, got a little head start on some advanced scouting stuff uh just just to just to keep my mind fresh uh, I've uh you know read some other baseball stuff, some books, and some new theories and some new thoughts, uh, brushed up on some technology stuff, and uh, just trying to stay sharp in this time of, uh, you know, crisis that we're going through and, uh, you know, trying to keep the, keep my mind on, on some baseball and doing some work.
0: You know, down at spring training, I ran into the president of the Dodgers, Stan Caston. And, you know, this guy, you know, he's run baseball teams, NBA teams, hockey teams. I mean, he's just a legend. And, you I, I was I was saying, you know, with all the sports and the technology in sports, how much it's changed over all these years. And he said, he goes, you know, I tell people that used to work for me, if you're out of the game one or two years, the game truly passes you by because the technology that we have really in all sports, but we'll stick in baseball, the technology that keeps coming your way, if you don't stay up on it, man, this game will fly right by you, Emo.
3: Well, you know, I, I think that's true to a, a degree, but also it, it's, you know, having the right people reading the technology. You know, uh, I, I watch pictures uh, nowadays uh, and, and and you know see things on the internet that these guys are just all about one thing, and we got a lot of guys that are trying to become uh, long distance drive golfers rather than play golf. You know, they just want to get on the on the mound and and throw it as hard as they can and, and read the numbers and, and jump for joy and, and, you know, the ball's off the backstop. So, you know, uh, as much as I do love the technology and, and I keep up to date with it, you know, it, it, it's only as good as the people who are reading the technology and who are reading the analytics because if you're trying to get players to do things that they're incapable of doing, and I think we've talked about this in the past, when, when you have a, a quote-unquote C student You know, that C student's a C student for a reason. So, you know, to try to get him to be an A student is generally not realistic, but to get that guy to be a B student or a B-plus student, get them better is where you want to go. So, you know, you you look at the technology, if you're reading it wrong, you know, average seems to be the number everybody talks about. I don't want average. I want us to be better than average. If we settle for average, then then we're not – you know, living up to the expectations that the organization wants us to to live up to, in my opinion. So I I really do believe that technology is great, but I I also believe that who's reading the technology, how you're forming uh, the game plan, how you're forming your communications with your players and trying to get them to do, uh, you know, certain things based on, you know what we have to remember too is the the analytics and the technology is feedback that's already happened. You know, you need people to to try to to get ahead of these things. You know, if and I think we talked about this too, first pitch strikes generally 58 59%, you know, I want our guys a little bit higher. So, how am I going to use the technology and the analytics to get them to be a little bit better? My expectation is not going to be 75%, you know, so Like I said, I think you need important people that know how to read it and how to translate it to the players. And, um, you know, there's a lot of misguided information out there, and you're you're watching a lot of guys become long-drive champions and not pitchers right now. And they got to get back to becoming uh, major league pitchers, not minor league throwers.
0: Yeah, how many young guys, even when you look at amateur guys, that they're basically just pitching for the radar gun?
3: Well, you know, a, a lot of guys do that because, you know, uh, to be honest with you, when, when, you know, a scout shows up and they throw up their radar gun and you're 86, that radar gun's probably being put back in the pocket. And But when that gun goes up and you're throwing 93, 94, they're keeping it on you for a while. So, you know, it's kind of the, the uh, devil's advocate here. What do I want to do? You know, velocity will get you in the door. But it won't won't keep you. It won't you won't have sustainability if you can't pitch. So, you know, I always want to find that pitcher. Obviously, you want the pitcher with velocity that knows how to pitch and move his baseball around and has electric stuff. Those are the guys you're looking for. But when you get guys that uh, are trying to create velocity with a bad delivery or possibly fly off the baseball and expose the ball a little bit earlier to the hitter, you know, every major league hitter can time a bullet. If that's all you got is velocity, and you're flying off the ball, and the hitters see it, he gains an advantage off you. You're in trouble. So, uh, I get the point where these guys want to try to get the door. But let's look at the curve. If, and I'm not sure of the number anymore right now, but I know the number used to be 12% of, uh, you know, guys who signed professional contracts actually play a day in the big leagues. And uh, if that number's going down, then the technology isn't working for that person. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, I think we even talked about the, uh, and I'm not saying earn-run average is the greatest statistic, but, you know, earned run averages aren't getting better. They've been getting worse. So, uh, you know, we got to be ahead of the, the analytics, ahead of the technology in, in our thought processing of uh, getting these players to be better.
0: You know, MLB.com has been doing a series of the best pitches in baseball. Who's got the best fastball? Who's got who has the best breaking ball? And they were showing this curveball by Clayton Kershaw. And you talk all the time about pitching is about interrupting timing because hitting is timing. And you got a big old hook like that. My God. I mean, that it's just so impressive, some of these guys with their breaking balls and just the amount of the speed and the spin and being able to throw it for strikes or even throwing it down in the zone for the strikeout. You got a hammer like that. What a weapon.
3: Yeah, he, he's you know, it, it's uh, it's what we used to call a top to bottom breaking ball. He's got good top spin. Uh, it starts out up in the top half of the zone and all of a sudden explodes to the bottom part of the zone and that's where he can play that good high fastball off of off of that exploding breaking ball but uh, you know uh, county two that's clayton kershaw and and he has other weapons, so the other weapons that he's using can help make that one weapon really good you know we've talked about you know a guy that has a um You know, just say he's got a below-average slider and an average curveball. Well, if you, you know, some people will say ditch the slider. Well, if he throws that below-average slider every now and then, but then he has that average curveball, the thought of the hitter thinking, okay, which breaking ball is coming makes that curveball maybe play up a little bit more. So, you know, when you're talking about guys who have electric pitches like, like Kershaw, he's probably got some other great intangibles as well.
0: When you think about bullpens and they're just year to year, you just don't know. And then some of these players, you could have a, a an incredible year and then the next year you fall off. Why do you think there's so much inconsistency with these guys coming out of the bullpen?
3: Well, I, I think you know if you if you look at most most relievers were starters, and at, at some point in time in their career they probably st- struggled as a starter and they got moved to the bullpen. So maybe it's just that you know consistency phase of of pitching. But you know if you look at you know the great relievers, uh, Raleigh Fingers and, and uh, Mariano Rivera, those guys were sustainable. You know, because they were really good pitchers, and and those are the types of guys that you're looking at. But how how long these guys can actually pitch in the big leagues is, has been really impressive to me. I mean, we've we've had a lot of guys uh, in our, our bullpen that have been pitching five, six, seven years in the big leagues. So uh, they've done a great job of uh, you know reinventing themselves at times. I mean, you look at Soria. Uh, Soria used to be a, a, a mid to high 90 mile an hour fastball guy, and now. Now he's a great crafty right-hander. He can still run it up there in the mid-90s when he has to. You look at Petit, you know, I remember seeing uh, Petit as a starter uh, in Fresno in AAA in, in 11 or 12, and, you know, I think Petit's one of the best relievers in the game because he's got the ability to move his baseball around, change speed. So, you know, I, I think a lot of guys that are relievers nowadays are that hard thrower. That uh, struggles with his mechanics, but he, he comes in, and for lack of a better term, you know, he's the blow and go guy. He comes in, tries to throw it as hard as he can. You don't care about how many pitches he throws. You're hoping he throws between, you know, 15 and 25 so you can use him the next day, but uh, he'll find a way to get his outs because he's that good and he's that competitive. But once they really start to master their craft, you look at a guy like Liam Hendricks, you know, uh, Liam, Liam has electric stuff. And when Liam's in the zone and and Liam's breaking ball is, is in and out of the zone rather than bounces breaking ball, I think that was one of the best things about Liam last year. Is he he threw his slider a little bit more competitive and and it was more tempting for the hitters. And then boom, he exploded guys with an elevated fastball. And I just think that that Liam's always had those tools in his toolbox. Uh, I just think last year, you know, Bonnie developed a lot of confidence when you're out there and you're pitching good, you're going to gain confidence. And hopefully that confidence for him can roll in. But he's always had that stuff, so now let's hope that, uh, you know, he can put it together and have another great season for us.
0: What an amazing story he is. What a man he is off the field with trying to help so many different people. But you look at his ride where he's DFA'd, then he comes back. No one wanted him. Then he comes back. He starts the wild card game. And then next season, he's an all-star. And then this season, he's on the media guide. For God's sakes, the media guide is always reserved for the best players, and he's an all-star. I mean, just talk about the growth you've seen in him as a player. It's truly its like a Disney
3: story. Well, I think he's done an an amazing job of self-awareness. He takes a lot of responsibilities for himself. Uh, He understands what he's trying to do. He knows what he wants to do. I think one of the big uh, contributors uh, to his success is when he did get uh, designated and and he got sent down, uh, he transformed his body. Uh, You know, he lost some weight. He went on a a diet. I'm not sure what diet he went on, but he went on a a diet. He he lost weight. He looked lean and strong, though. He looked lean and strong. He got into throwing uh, a long toss program that he liked. He got into a routine that he liked. And uh, that just gave him a lot of confidence and it just carried on to, to last season. And, you know, he became an all-star. I mean, you look at the difference between, you know, uh, major league pitchers around the league and, and the difference isn't, you know, mostly physical, it's between the ears and, and your work habits. You get in what you, uh, you you get out what you put in. And he put in a lot of work with that diet and that long toss program. Uh, he came back to us fresh uh, during that time uh, and I think it was eight or nine games he, he uh, opened maybe in September and, and he did a great job and, and he was rewarded for it uh, with the wild card opportunity but you know he kept it going and that's mental toughness and, and to have the ability to, to keep working at your craft and keep grinding and and I, I remember reading a quote about him uh, this spring that he wasn't going to take anything for granted of him being the closer. And that's a good, strong mindset that, Hey, I need to work for everything that uh, I get. And uh, like I said, you, you get out what you put in and he put in the time and the effort.
0: You know, I've been watching a lot of these retro baseball games that they've been airing on MLB network. It's been great. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed and you've talked about it in this interview is how yesteryear pitchers were pounding the strike zone. They were strike one, was the best pitch in baseball, and they're pounding the strike zone. The other thing that I really noticed, too, is even the big-time power bats, they don't strike out a lot. I mean, even though, like, in the Bucky Dent game, you got Reggie Jackson, who did strike out a lot, but he was still hitting two seventy nine. He made a lot of contact. and, And I looked at the guys that would choke up, and Carlton Fisk was a young power hitter. He choked up on the bat. He's just... There just seems to be a lot more contact and a lot more balls being put in play in yesteryear baseball. Have you watched any of these games?
3: Yeah, and and, and to be honest with you, wow, I don't some of these uh, pitching gurus out there, I don't I don't know if they, we could have played 30 years ago. Some of these deliveries just look totally different than they do nowadays, you know. Uh, But these guys were awesome pitchers. I mean, you look at Bob Gibson, he fell off the mound throwing gas and had an electric slider. Steve Carlton, the same thing. I watched Kenny Holtzman in a game a couple weeks ago in a Yankee uniform. Crossed his body, didn't even see where the plate was, it looked like. But he had the ability to throw strikes and change speeds. But getting to the hitters, you know, the plate has always been the same, but the zone has it. You know, when the zone is bigger uh, 30, 40 years ago, you know, you need to swing the bat. You need to put more balls in play. You, you need because the umpire is going to ring you up back in the day. Uh, you know, if they were close, they were borderline. Generally, the, the pitcher uh, might have gotten two balls off the plate uh, years ago. And now that the strike zone has, has, you know, they do have that buffer zone, maybe an inch on both sides. And you know, umpires aren't perfect, but they do work at about a 92 clip uh, percent clip, where they're, you know, on calls they got to make, they're they're making 92 percent of the calls correctly. So I, I hats off to those guys. But you know, now the game is, you know, with the technology, they're held accountable. So the strike zone shrinks, so the guys don't swing at as many pitches. And the games last longer. I mean, that's just how it's going to go. If, if you want the games to move a little bit quicker, you're going to have to make the plate a little bit bigger and force these guys to swing. I think the big league hitters are so good nowadays that um, they don't chase as often as they used to because they're that good. Plus, they got you know, the off season nowadays. These guys are hitting and hitting and hitting they got these indoor cages all over the country they're hitting they're hitting you've got these velo machines that they can set up and and let balls eat at 90 miles an hour 95 miles an hour in a, in a batting cage or set it up on the field and they're constantly seeing velo they're constantly seeing pitches they're constantly hitting and you know the more you work at the craft your craft the better you are and i think the hitters are getting better because of all this stuff they're able to do
0: You mentioned strike zone. I was watching a grainy old World Series game where Sandy Koufax is up against the Minnesota Twins, and and they got, like, Harmon Killebrew. I mean, the Twins are really good, and and Sandy's on, like, two days rest, but he's pumping this, like, 97-mile-an-hour fastball, a four-seamer that's up at the letter's, and then he's got that big hook, but they're calling that strike, that high strike that they don't call anymore. And I'm thinking, man, you got no chance of hitting Sandy Koufax if you're calling, you're calling it letter high and he's throwing 97.
3: Yeah, I mean, talking about an impressive breaking ball from the left <laughs> side right there. I mean, geez. I mean, you know, Koufax is, you know, when I was a kid, you know, was in growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, I was more of a, a Flanagan and Scott McGregor was my idol. Jim Palmer, I've gotten to meet him, but you know, McGregor was the soft tosser with a pretty good hook. But uh, you know, those are the times when Colfax was just about done, and they were still running some some you know stuff about Colfax. And you know, I was able to see you know reruns of that curveball and that that heater. You know, if that guy got to play five or six more years, he'd have set a lot more records.
4: Yeah, I
0: think I think his curveball had a decent spin rate.
3: Yeah, well. I don't, I don't need the rap soda or the track man to tell me that one either.
0: <laughs> Emo, it's just great to hear your voice. We miss you. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: All right. Sounds well. Guys. Hey, stay in the house.
0: I'm in. I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm. locked in my studio. Perfect. See I'm, you, I'm locked, in,
3: I, I'm locked in my studio as well.
0: <laughs> Take care, buddy.
3: All right. You guys have a good one
0: can't wait to get back and can't wait to break down more pitching with our guy emo Scott Miller has been coming on my shows for a long long time uh, for years worked for CBS now works for bleach report he's one of the best baseball columnists we have here's my conversation with Scott Miller God
1: welcome back to a'ce cast live how are you uh doing okay I guess everything's relative today right I'm I'm my family's healthy I'm healthy uh Hopefully it stays that way uh, for you and know, all listeners.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I got a lot of family in San Diego being from there, and that's where you are. And uh, luckily the cases have been very low down there, so, so that is good news. And uh, also good news, we just talked to – you know, so what we've been doing, Scott, is we've been um, previewing every single team, and we started with the National League West, so – Today was our final one as we, we did the Dodgers, and Jerry Harrison Jr. was with us. But the big news for the Dodgers, and it's just crazy to think, Scott, is, hey, we're celebrating. You're now going to be able to
1: watch Dodger baseball on television. Uh, yeah, that falls under the timing is everything category, doesn't it? It's unbelievable. I saw that. Yeah, the uh, yeah their new sports network, which uh, they formed I'm sure Jerry mentioned what year did it's been on there at least 4 or 5 years, right? Yeah. And 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 most of LA couldn't see the Dodgers games because SportsNet LA or whatever it's called, I think SportsNet LA didn't they didn't have a deal with uh DirecTV and AT&T, so everybody in LA that had any AT&T related cable like Uverse or anything else or DirecTV could not see the Dodgers. Live, So a huge percentage of Los Angeles hasn't been able to watch the Dodgers on TV the last several years. So finally today comes the news, as you said. Yes, bingo. Deal done. Everybody in L.A. gets the Dodgers. Now we just hope uh, uh, the Dodgers fans are like the rest of us, just hoping we can watch baseball sometime soon.
0: Yeah, you know, and I was thinking about this yesterday, and I started the show with this as we saw the report. Uh CBS Sports put it out how there's some people in baseball that are thinking about, well, when the time is right and people are and they're allowed to do it, to play games without any fans, but to get it on television and what that would mean for people. And I started thinking about it even more, Scott, about if baseball is the first to get on television with everybody in lockdown and everybody at home, the ratings will be through the roof. People who don't like baseball or really haven't watched baseball in a long time would now be consuming it like you wouldn't believe. It would kind of be like a rebirth of baseball being the national pastime. How do you feel about that?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I think that'd be great. I always, uh, you know, I, <laughs> you know, you're talking a guy who's devoted, you know, most of the last thirty years of my life to baseball. I think it's the best game. Uh, it's got some issues right now, you know i mean i I do think too many home runs, too few i mean too many strikeouts, too many homers, you know the I miss the the stolen bases and some of the strategy that's put in the game, but that said, best game by far, and I've always thought that since the NFL has surpassed baseball in popularity, uh it was more of a, a statement about our country and where it's at and and uh maybe uh uh in a negative light you know more people should like baseball than football like george will once said you know football combines the worst two parts two of the worst parts of american uh, society violence punctuated by committee meetings baseball's where it's at it should be number one And, uh, you know I, i i yeah i hope that uh i think it'd be great if uh you know not just for baseball but look for for this country, if we could get some sports back, I mean, sports has always been an escape for people. It's always been something you look forward to. You, you know, you go to work all day and a lot of people maybe don't like their job or they have a hard job and the life's difficult, but you know, you, you, you go to work in the morning knowing, Hey, I got whatever it is tonight. You know, I've got, I've got, you know, the A's are playing the Astros or, you know, I've got a a big game tonight. I can watch, and that we're. I mean, we're missing that. I mean, I know. Uh, you know, like I'm sure you guys are like me. We're streaming shows on Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is, but you know, uh, too much of one thing eventually gets monotonous. And right now, we need some games back.
0: Yeah, there 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 is no doubt about that. And when I think about a shortened season. I think about a lot of different things that you can try and people have brought this up. And, you know, if we're going to get a postseason into November, maybe where you have a neutral site for the world series, you know, the weather is still pretty good in Southern California, whether it's Dodger stadium or it's Anaheim or San Diego, we now have in Texas, both teams have a roof um you you got uh, up here in the fall bay area weather is really nice during football season in the fall so i you could see baseball being played but maybe you're not even playing it in your home stadium plus you know rob manfred wants to try some things out some new things this would kind of be the
1: season to do it wouldn't it yeah i i am on board with that i mean i'm i count as probably one of those old traditionalists that i don't like to see a lot of change but but that said yeah, no question. I mean, there, there's, it's obvious. We're not only not going to get a 162 game schedule in this year, but, you know, I mean, I mean, we might not even get 100 games in the way this, this, this doggone uh, pandemic is going. And I, I mean, I just hope we get some games in, but regardless, it's going to have, if we can get a 2020 season in, and I remain hopeful, um, it's going to have a much, much, much different look. Than any other season, even strike shortened seasons. And from that end, I think it's important to whenever we can get started again and get as many games in as possible. And yeah, so I mean, if that involves pushing the schedule into October and pushing the postseason back to, into late October or November, um, you know, that's going to have to stay on the board. I, I think, you know, the talk about seven inning doubleheaders. Um, again in 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 while attempting to get as many games in as possible if that's what it takes that's fine i mean i've never been one for let's put a runner on second base to start the 10th or 11th or 12th inning um but that's been talked about if we're ever going to try it and experiment with it you know this is going to be the season again because if it's only going to be 80 games anyway it's going to be unlike any other season we've ever had so if you want to you know try to experiment. Use this uh, season as a petri dish, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I, I'm like I say, most years I'd be against a lot of this stuff, but some people have been talking about it for so long. Anyway, it's like, okay, fine. Let's if if, if this is the year, let's try it out. Let, let's see if something clicks and works, and people like it. And then if these three things over here don't work, then fine, junk them after this year.
0: So when you, you look at baseball and the National League West and the Dodgers has absolutely dominated it uh, when we there was one of the spring training games down in Arizona when the Dodgers were taking on the A's and we were talking with some people saying, hey, this could be the World Series preview. Both these teams yep. are really, really good. Do you see any kind of scenario where the Dodgers don't win the NL West?
1: No, I don't. I mean, they're just so strong. I mean, I think more you know, of all the six divisions, the, uh, the the National League West is the one that's, uh, you know, as close to over on opening day, whenever opening day is as, as possible. Now, the one caveat, I think, is this. I think a shortened season opens the door for upsets and opens the door for, say, you know, the the Padres or the Diamondbacks to all all of a sudden, you know, play well, put together a 60-game stretch where they play really well. And, and, you know, there's a chance that maybe the Dodgers take a little while to get out of the gate and get things clicking. And, you know, because really baseball is all about depth, right? I mean, that's the point of a 162-game schedule. You play 162 games the best team over that long of a stretch should emerge. And that includes, you know, the team with the deepest, you know, the best bench players, the deepest pitching staff, the best bullpen, all aspects of the game. Well, if you melt that 162 games down and all of a sudden it's 80 games or whatever it's going to be, if we can, again, you know, hopefully get this year in, um, I, I think that just tilts the odds a little bit. So that maybe a team that isn't quite as deep as another team, uh, if they do everything right, could jump up and surprise. So that's kind of my long-winded answer. I think by all rights, yes, the Dodgers easily win the division. But I think the fact that if there's, you know, if it's a significantly shortened season, which it looks like it will be, that's the one chance I think somebody has to jump up and catch them by surprise.
0: And when we were reviewing, when we were, I should say, previewing the Padres, we had a guy that you know real well, Tony Gwynn Jr. on. And we were talking yep. about, you know, in a shortened season, you know, especially like for the A's, you know, we're dealing with Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck. And we're talking about babying these young arms, these young, powerful arms that like the A's have or the Padres have. You don't have to baby these guys in a shortened season. That can play well for the teams looking to be, as you said, the upset team.
1: Oh, exactly. I mean, because again, that's all part of it, right? If, if you're if you've got Lazardo and Puck, and it's a 162 game schedule, well, you know you're going whatever the innings limit is going to be for each of those guys. You know, whether it's 100 innings or 120, it's going to kick in. But if you're only playing 80 games, I mean, they may be able, you know. Guys like Puck and Lazardo, and down in San Diego, Chris Paddock, they may be able to throw 120 innings, and maybe that covers an entire season if it's only 80 games or whatever it is. And, and and yeah, you're right. That That's a prime example of, of something that could significantly uh, change the landscape of, of a division race.
0: You know, there's been a lot of rumors about the baseball, right? Juiced during the season. They took some of the juice out of the ball for the postseason, rumors. Yep. What, whatever went down last year, what are your expectations for the baseball in 2020?
1: Ah, that is an excellent question, and that's one of those I don't think we can answer until it gets going. I, I, the only thing I'll say is, 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 you know, we only got a handful of exhibition games in, but talking with managers this spring... And with baseball people, players, they, they the early, you know, very early indications were they didn't think the ball was quite as jumpy and bouncy as it was last year. They they thought it had kind of come back a little bit. But again, that that's only, I mean, how many exhibition games does each team play, you know, two weeks worth or whatever it was. Um, so I guess the very early indications are that the ball won't fly as much as it did last year, but... Um, You know, to that degree, uh, we won't know until we get going.
0: And then the other team that may benefit from all this, unfortunately, uh, we don't want to go through this. This pandemic is is, is absolutely awful. Uh, But the Houston Astros, you know, we thought, you know, the way they're going to be treated on the road, that first series in Anaheim, their second series on the road would be up here in Oakland. Do you think the treatment of the Houston Astros will be a little different now?
1: You know, I think actually you have that reverse. Their first series was in Oakland because I was actually going to be up there. It was um, would have been Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think today would have been the last day for the Astros in Oakland. And then I believe, if you'll check their schedule, check me on this. I don't have a computer right in front of me, but I think today was a day game in Oakland and then tomorrow might have been an off day and then and then they were the Angels home opener friday, saturday, sunday they would have been in anaheim so um, yeah i you know we talked all winter long and in, in most of the spring training everything was a, the, the astros dominated everything and you know spring training all the stories about how they were getting booed everywhere and there were little old ladies in in the stands in west palm beach screaming at them i mean all of a sudden that sounds Doesn't that all seem like it happened four years ago? I mean, it was only a month ago they were getting booed. It was, you know, a month ago was, you know, what, first of March or so? I mean, a month ago, four weeks ago, it was all the rage was about the Astros. And now it seems like, you know, like I said, like four years ago. So that is, I think you're right. I mean, you know, the Astros, I think by the time we get done, uh, whenever the season opens, um, I think given what this country's been through, there'll still be people that hold a grudge and, and scream and yell at them, but um, I don't think it'll be nearly as as vicious and as bad as it would have been.
0: Let's end on this when you look at scheduling, and you want to be as fair as possible. And I was looking at this one article for, like, Tampa and the Yankees. I mean, we look, we think those are the two teams that are really going to battle for the East, and Tampa... If if these early games are canceled, this will now play big for the Yankees if you just if you just start from wherever the schedule is and you know, at that point, then Tampa loses a bunch of home games against the Yankees and then they gotta play a bunch of road games at Yankee Stadium where they don't fare well. Same can be said with the Astros and the A's rivalry. Do you do you switch up the schedule or do you just start from okay, if it's June first, you just go from what the schedule was at already? You
1: know, I think you got to go with what schedule's at already, and you hang with them, and you just understand it's just not going to be fair. I don't see any other way around it, simply because of logistics. I mean, it is not an easy task to move a baseball traveling party, a team in the traveling party around the country. Um, and, and you figure the traveling secretaries for each team, uh, and, and with Oakland, the famous and longtime veteran Mickey Morbido, These guys have, you know, they've got charter flights, hotels, everything, already lined up for the entire season. So what they 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 do that before spring training starts. So now you're just canceling stuff, you know, week by week or however they're doing it. But I would guarantee you they haven't yet canceled everything for the full season. So I think. You don't I think it'd be way too difficult to drop the schedule and try to make it fair because now you're telling every team, okay, all those reservations you've still got for charter flights, for hotels, um, June, July, August, September, cancel everything and start over again. And it's going to be on shorter notice. You know, who's to say that, that the As, if they redrew the schedule, all of a sudden, say the A's are in Yankee Stadium, you know, Labor Day weekend. Who's to say the? I mean, the hotels are going to be open then. Um, you know where they go. I mean, they 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 might not be able to get enough rooms in whatever hotel they stay in. That's going to just logistically. It, I just don't see how you can rip up the schedule, redraw it, and, and go from there. So I, I think you're going to keep the schedule. The only thing that's going to happen is if you add regular season games to the back end of the schedule and and you add, in other words, say the first three weeks in October, you push the playoffs back and you make up 30 games in October. Um, That's the only portion of the schedule I think you're going to be able to monkey around with. Um, But the rest of it I think you're going to just have to, you know, it's just like I say, one of those years, it's just not going to be fair to everybody. Uh, To me, it's a little bit like 1981 when, um, you know, the the there was a strike in June. They played April and May, and then June and July were wiped out with a strike. And then they came back with the All-Star game in Cleveland in July or late July, maybe early August. And then the, they did the best they could with that year, and what they did was almost like a minor league season. In 1981, they named division winners of the first half of the year and then division winners of the second half of the year, and then they played in the playoffs. And what you had that year in 81, the Cincinnati Reds had the best record in baseball overall. They didn't even make the playoffs because they didn't win. They were in the National League West back then. I think the Dodgers won one half of it. I'm not sure about the other, but but the Reds didn't win the division in either first or second half. So they ended up squeezed out of the playoffs. They had to sit home, even though they had the best record of anybody in 1981. And that's just that's just one of those casualties. And, you know, there's going to be collateral damage and not everything's going to be fair. But that's, I think, how this season is going to end up being if, you know, assuming we can get it in.
0: Yeah, I remember that. That was crazy. Scott, we always appreciate your time coming here on A's Cast Live. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you
1: soon. You guys as well, the listeners, and, uh, yeah, hopefully we all can pull together and flatten this curve, as they're saying, and, and, and get through this sooner than later and hopefully get some ball games back, you know, by midsummer or whenever. Take care, Scott. You too, guys. From
0: Scott Miller to Himbo, Paul Himbochides, works for ESPN. You also hear him on Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast. He joins us every single week, busting out with some great knowledge, as usual. Here's Himbo. Himbo, h- h- how are we doing in quarantine in uh, New Jersey? You hanging in there?
2: <laughs> We're doing fine. We did the. Uh, my wife and I did the... The week last week in um, in Philly at my parents in my parents' basement. This week we're back with the in laws. I'm back with the in laws, so uh, I'm living the dream over here. I feel like all my unmotivated friends. I'm 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 30 living living in my parents' basement, Uh, but I got the work laptop to show for you know for my for my career so far. So here we go.
0: So what is it like being distant from New York City and your show, your television show on ESPN? Obviously, is in New York City. You're in New Jersey. That's That's got to be pretty odd for you.
2: Very. So what we have is a very uh, – all the ESPN shows, for that matter, have this arrangement now where, like, there's a handful of people that must be in the control room. They're in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, for our show, the host, Mike Greenberg, is also in Bristol because we have sort of shut down our New York operation, given all the – you know, given the, the – I mean, New York is very much at the epicenter of this. So the further yeah. away you can get from there, obviously, the better. So – He's in Bristol along with a handful of people in a conference in a conference room, you know, in the mornings and then in a control room during the show. And then everyone else like me, who isn't considered essential personnel in terms of getting the show on the air, is working from the laptop and the sweatpants. So like this is this is where we are now. Like my motivation every day comes comes from like am I gonna wear my good sweats or am I gonna wear my bad sweats? Like this <laughs> is these are the decisions that I'm making. Not like what color tie am I wear. Yeah,
0: it's like welcome to our radio world. I do every A's game, road game from my house. So this is for you tv people you're used to <laughs> the studio for us radio people this is this is kind of what we do um when i think about neutral sites cuz everybody's agreed the players the owners everybody's agreed we want to get as many games in as possible and if we're going to play into november you're going to have to not play in certain parts of the country and i start thinking of you know southern california whether it's the Dodgers, the Angels, the Padres, it doesn't rain a lot in November. Hardly rains at all throughout the entire year. We now have two places in Texas that have roofs and Houston in Houston and the new ballpark in Arlington. We still have Milwaukee, Toronto. I doubt they're going to do anything in Tampa because the trop is it's <laughs> awful. But what do you think about kind of going the way we do the Super Bowl where we start playing playoff games, because this is you know you can try anything now with a season like this. What do you think about neutral sites for the playoffs and potentially the World Series?
2: I think neutral sites are probably inevitable if if we want to have any sort of if we want to have any sort of uh, lengthened season. Because like you said, early November is probably now where we pro- we start the playoffs, and if so, we might be talking about a postseason that starts around then. And even if it starts around then, you might have to just do the whole thing from neutral or alternate sites. The other dynamic of play here is obviously, can fans be involved? Because if you're playing a bunch of playoff games at neutral sites, are you going to ask all the bases to fly out of Thailand? People are probably not going to want to do that. It's a, it's a component to this conversation I think is, is, is worthy of consideration. My best guess is that Major League Baseball will probably go the World Baseball Classic route. Like you said, you identify a half a dozen or so stadiums that can sort of do this stuff how you how, how the owners choose to share things is going to be a different animal obviously because some teams are just uh less strategic geographically but i do think it's curious that in looking back and, and i had some re- uh, retro sheet data here to, to show for it th- there's only been 10 world series games played at alternate loca- uh, alternate locations and they all occurred from 1914 to 1918 but each of those 10 games were played in a different ballpark in a world series city so for example the Red Sox and the Cubs played three games at Comiskey in 1918. That's the last time this happened, like the last time. This is unprecedented, but I think there's a very good chance, like you said, that they have to do something like this if they want to lengthen the season. And if we do want to play as many games as possible, that is inevitable.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like college football where now, you know, oh, we're going to play in the Rose Bowl, and if we win that game, now we go to Arizona for the national championship game. It'll kind of be (laughs) like that, and uh, it it could be very interesting. And I think about – you know, Mark Deshara. I like Mark, and he obviously he works for you guys, ESPN, but it just kind of shows the mentality of the modern-day player. Double-headers just seem so – because when I was growing up, there was double-headers all the time, and no one said anything about it. That's going to be one of the ways we get more games in. And obviously players want to get more games in because they make more money. Owners, they want to satisfy the TV contracts. So when you start thinking about double-headers, and they've mentioned seven inning doubleheaders, you know, whether it's Wednesday, Saturday, is it twice a week, three times a week? How do you think that
2: would work out? Well, it's funny because Mark has sort of flipped his opinion on this over the course of time and talking to more people, he's realized that this is the players are going to have to bend and do things that make them uncomfortable. At this point, like obviously public safety is number one. And if players aren't going to be here, Players are not going to be shaded favorably if they're complaining about having to play too many baseball games, especially if it's in front of empty stadiums. Let's be honest. I think players probably need to realize that. The seven-inning thing is, is is pretty interesting to me because base, professional baseball has played nine-inning games since 1857 with no exceptions. Now, it, obviously, we know college players play seven-inning games oftentimes, and they're doubleheaders. There are other, uh, sometimes internationally, you'll see in Japan or Korea, they'll they'll sort of uh, alter their schedule in such a way but it is not hyperbole to say that that nine innings are as ingrained in baseball as 90 foot bases or nine players per side those have been in the rules since like the new york knickerbockers crafted this thing up in 1857 (laughs) so that like there is no context um in terms of that i don't actually have a big problem with the notion of playing to ties but playing playing to ties after 10 innings is something that i would not because we're talking about a decent number of games. There were 117 games last year that exceeded 10 innings. I don't know that I want 6 or 8 games, especially in a condensed season, ending in a tie because we're talking about over the course of a full year, that's more than one game per month, and that to me seems a little much. I do think that they're going to have to make some exceptions, though, with the roster sizes this year. If we're going to be playing multiple doubleheaders a week, which, to be clear, I am definitely in favor of, and players should be as well. They want to get paid like everybody else, and they want to be a part of what brings this country back. But in terms of the, in terms of shortening the game, there's literally no context for that, like I said. In terms of uh, ties, we know baseball has never played ties, but I think there's probably some good reason this year to consider that, because if you're playing six, seven, eight games a week regularly, if you're playing all these games every week, you're going to just destroy these pitching staffs and one way you could do it is increasing the roster size and, 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 and ending these games after 10 or 12 innings just to be able to, you know, just, just be able to help preserve these pitching staffs over the course of you know, three or four really condensed months.
0: You know, one thing in baseball that has been happening the last couple of years is we're, we're, we're really babying young arms to where we don't want a lot of innings on these guys, and we have two of them in Jesus Lizardo and A.J. Puck. I got the feeling that in a shortened season – we're not going to really worry about that anymore. I have a feeling that it's going to be all hands on deck, and we're not going to baby the young pitchers, and we're not going to have an innings requirement. It's now everybody, let's go. Uh, do you get that feeling also?
2: I do get that feeling because I don't think that I think you'll be at a major competitive disadvantage if you're a team that wants to compete that is choosing to uh, abide by the same rules you would if we're playing an eight month season. It doesn't make any sense to me. Also. I think you're totally right in saying that because the season is likely to be shorter, maybe considerably shorter, there's going to be a lot more teams that think that they can win. How many times is there some darling team at the All Star break, 18 games above 500 because a bunch of kids got hot early and the league hasn't caught up with them, right? That's going to be the end of the season. Like, there's a very real chance we only play 80 or 100 games. We might only play 80 or 100 games if we're lucky. So, yes, absolutely, to answer your question, there should be no more than about half a dozen teams who are doing who are playing the long game at all, which means there are probably more teams than ever that are going to be going for it. And if that means that you're going to have to, you know, let loose some of your young arms, this is absolutely the time to do it.
0: You know, obviously there were some teams that were pretty banged up going into what would have been a start of the season on March 26. And in your area, no one was more banged up than the New York Yankees. But I think from a mental standpoint, and where the country is going to be, like we've seen, you know, people come together, people get a little bit nicer, people want to help people. I think mentally for the Houston Astros, remember we, I mean, everybody, we started to see it in spring training. There was signs and people were screaming at them. I think from a mental layoff, and then when we get this thing going, for the Houston Astros, I think the landing period for them is not going to be as rough as it would have been if we would have started on March 26th. Do you feel that way?
2: That's right. That's right. And it's also hard for me or for the the, the collective us to be as outraged about sign stealing when the world had just gone through the worst, its worst pandemic in a hundred years. Like like we're really learning to put things into perspective this solve season in a way that we, have been like we have to, right? We have to, and I I, I long felt that the the astros, what the astros did, and now that the outcry w- was going to be a major competitive disadvantage for them. I think that you're right in saying that it, it certainly might not be that way anymore. Now, I think once we get in the swing of things, baseball fans are going to remember what happened, obviously, and they're going to let them hear it, but it's not going to be the overwhelming story every day the way that it was in the offseason because the coronavirus is going to dominate the news for the entirety of 2020, and that's going to include everything. Like all major sports that are playing around it. There's no doubt about it. But I'm curious about actually, are, 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 the Astros going to, are the Astros going to hide behind this in a way? So we know that, you know, very early on in spring training, clubs restricted access to the clubhouse from reporters, which is it was done collectively. So it's something that um, everyone agreed was the right thing to do at the time. But our team, the Astros specifically going to hide behind this as being a reason why they don't want to uh, expose their players to the media. I don't think there's any reason to believe that they are above that. From Based on what I've seen and the way that they behave and the way that they act from the top down, I wouldn't at all be surprised if the Astros use this to their advantage in a way that I think um, would, would make me very uncomfortable as a baseball fan. It's important for those beat writers both locally and nationally to be in that clubhouse, especially if every other team is giving their people access. The Astros should follow suit. That should not be something that they are allowed to say no to.
0: You know, Cody and I did a little deep dive on the Cy Young award and great pitchers who have never won the Cy Young and uh, obviously Cy Young never won the Cy Young. And you start thinking about, you know, it wasn't around and Walter Johnson and Lefty Grove and Christy Matthewson and all these guys. But in the modern era, there have been some really good guys, even hall of famers who haven't won the Cy Young award.
2: This, this is a fun exercise. Um, I'm glad that you, you guys brought this up. As, as you mentioned, the award is still relatively new by baseball standards. It was first awarded in 1956. It became a two-league award in 1967. If you pulled the, if you pulled the average baseball fan, I would say the vast majority of them. If you ask the yes-no question, did Nolan Ryan ever win a Cy Young award? The vast majority of them would say yes. Nolan Ryan never won a Cy Young award. Neither did Mike Mussina. Uh, there did Curt Schilling. So th- there, a lot of times, like, this is a award that, generally speaking, has been given over the course of time. High volume wins, right? Good teams. And over the course of time, we've learned that the the, the award is, is more meaningful and impactful than that. Like, when Felix Hernandez won the award a few years ago, I thought that was a real sign that, like, okay, we're really getting somewhere. The reason I looked uh, into this last year, one of Shambi, uh, one of our broadcasters, asked me, is Chris Sale, you think, the best pitcher that's never won a Cy Young Award? So I did a little dig and. I think it's probably safe to say he's probably the best active pitcher never to have won a Cy Young Award. Cole Hamels is another guy with a sneaky chance at the Hall of Fame that has not won. But Chris Sale is the all-time leader in strikeout to walk rate. We know that I mean his numbers might fall off a cliff now, but for a stretch in time, like he was absolutely dominant. The other sort of group of people, and then I'll hand out off back to you, are these like really durable guys from the '70s: Bert Blyleven, Don Sutton, Phil Necro. Like these guys never won a Cy Young Award either. And pitchers, in my judgment, are a little bit more difficult. To evaluate and play in the long game because there are a few guys like that. And in writing this book of mine, like, how do I evaluate greatness when someone was really good for a really long time, but they were never great? All three of those pitchers, Necro, Blylevin, and Sutton, were never truly great and never won a Cy on award. But you look at all the war leader boards, and they are right at the top. So that makes, a very, that makes for a very challenging evaluation for someone like me who's, you know, as I told you, I'm trying to, you know, craft the 100 greatest players of all time. Can the story of baseball be told without those three guys? I think so, and obviously the Cy Young voters agree.
0: So, how is the book coming along now that you have a, I would say, a little probably extra time on your hands?
2: <laughs> I have a lot of extra time on my hands. I'm about uh, about forty pages of notes in. Um, just reading, just as reading as much as I possibly can. What I would say, like, I know this is going to be like a long and and pretty arduous process because like in order to do something like this like i'm, a, I'm learning about a hundred people and there's so much that goes into the lives and the careers of these people that even like my my research ability doesn't you know can't discover off the top of, of, of offhand because there's so much context here i will say that at some point i'm going to come back with you guys and i want to do some i want to do some fun stuff with, about jimmy fox and lefty grove because these are two of the truly great players that I've ever lived Lefty Grove, I think, has a legitimate case to be made as the greatest left-handed pitcher of all time, and he is not discussed as being an inner circle player. And neither is Jimmy Fox either, for that matter. So those are two guys, two A's, that I think I'm going to really enjoy looking into because at that in their places in history, they were easily overshadowed for a, a, sort of a variety of reasons, but both behemoths in the game. And both who I think like deserve to be talked about as true greats the way that we, you know, talk about the you know the Cobbs and Musials and Ted Williams and Walter Johnson's of the world. So we'll I I will look forward to getting into that with you guys sometime soon.
0: Yeah, that's why whenever I'm talking A's history, I always have to tell everybody there's Oakland A's history and then there's A's history because of all the great Hall of Famers that played for Connie Mack back in the day and played in Philadelphia. And remember the guys like uh, Reggie Jackson, these guys, they came, Sal Bando, they came up in Kansas City before they moved to Oakland. So I always try to tell A's fans, there's more than just Oakland A's. There's a lot of championships and great players in, in, in A's history. Before we let you go, um, what's it what's it like being back with mom and dad?
2: <laughs> I guess it depends on who you ask. Um, I would say that myself because I've given myself this project this book project that you guys have been kind to ask about. I would say like I'm giving myself stuff to do. Like you just, what you can't do is like willingly be bored because like we've only done this for 2 weeks now. We've done this for 2 weeks now and like my wife is driving herself crazy. Like she's already run out of things on Netflix to watch. Meanwhile, I'm like diving into like lefty grove, you know, 1940 season. Like so like I have I got stuff to do. So it's a The way that I see it is this: like, if we're doing this indefinitely, like, there's a chance we're doing this for six months. I can't be caught here and and, and have, have wasted half a year waiting to go back to work, waiting to do stuff. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, I, I'm doing the 100 push-up challenge. I'm 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 reading about Johnny Mize's career with the Giants. Like, you know, th- these are things that you do when you're bored. But like, I feel like I've I've gained 30 years. Like, I feel like I'm I feel like truly what I'm doing is like what people do when they're retired, which is nothing, and wish they were still working. I cleaned
0: out my shed yesterday. I didn't realize how much crap I had stuffed in the shed over the years, <laughs> and it literally took me hours and I'm like I'm I'm like dusting it out. I'm It was like what is the most random object that you found in your shed? I found objects. So I bought this new house 3 <laughs> years ago. I had stuff in the shed that didn't belong to me. It belonged to the previous owner. And I don't even know what I <laughs> I was like, you're going, that's, this is not mine. I, <laughs> I swear to God, there was stuff from the previous owner that I'm throwing yeah. out that I'm like, I, I didn't buy this. I don't even know what this is. That's how, <laughs> that's how big and old the shed is and how much crap we said. I mean stuff, my kids, like they don't play soccer anymore. They don't like, I have all this stuff that they don't do anymore. And I'm like, I just got to get rid of it. So yeah, it's so bad. I cleaned out my shed and uh, got some
2: brownie. <laughs> like and that's 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 in the first two weeks like who knows what you're going to be doing in week 12 like you might build a new shed by the 12th week
0: (laughs) (laughs) himbo you are the best my friend stay safe there in new jersey and we'll talk to you next week all right later boys himbo's a funny guy it's great to have him on and how about the Dodgers situation market two and you can't see your team on television it's just, it's insane. Well, there's a new TV deal, and now the majority of L.A. will get to see their Dodgers again. It's really an unbelievable story. Here is Bill Shaken from the L.A. Times. Bill, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. How are you? Uh, doing great. Talking a little baseball as uh, we decided to get back on the air and uh, cover this great game. And, of course, the Oakland A's and the big news out of uh, Los Angeles. And I think for like a lot of people around the country, they didn't know this was going on. So I think when you read that in the number two market, for God's sakes, Dodgers, one of the great franchises in baseball and American sports history that fans couldn't see them on television, but now they're going to be able to uh, just tell us about what it has been like down there. Cause it's just for a lot of people, it's shocking to hear that you couldn't watch the Dodgers on TV.
4: Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. But there was a time when the new Dodgers ownership had taken over and they cut themselves an $8 billion television deal. And they left it to a company called Time Warner Cable to go out and market the channel to everybody else in town. And nobody else in town wanted the channel, at least at the price that was being asked. So for the last Six years, there's been different mergers, there's been different negotiations, there's been a federal lawsuit, there's been promises of arbitration, but the end result is nothing's worked. And the Dodgers have been off the air for a majority of fans here for a great run. You know, it's Vince Scully's final years, Clayton Kershaw threw a no hitter, the Dodgers have won the NL West every year. And now finally, you know, on the day you get a deal done, there's no baseball. So it's something.
0: Yeah, that's that. I mean, just Vin Scully, Clayton Kershaw winning 106 games. I just, It's just, it's, that's a head scratcher, but great for great for Dodger fans and everybody in Southern California that, You know, when we do get rolling again, the Dodgers are a powerhouse once again. You I mean, it's hard to believe you win 106 games and then you add Mookie Betts and David Price. That doesn't happen a lot.
4: It doesn't. You know, really what's happened is that the Dodgers, at least nationally, still have the image of this ownership group as spend, spend, spend. And the first couple of years, they did. The Dodger team they inherited was not that great. The minor league system was decimated. And rather than say we're going to focus on just the minor leagues and player development, they said let's do that, but let's also spend at the major league level. So they spent a quarter of a billion dollars to take on Adrian Gonzalez's contract. They committed $200 million to Clay Kershaw, more than $100 million to Zach Greinke. And everybody nationally thought, well, good, this goes on forever. But actually since then, the Dodgers have cut down their spending and really focused on player development To the point that when the Red Sox were looking to move Mookie Betts, not only could the Dodgers make that happen financially, one season for $27 million, which obviously now will be less because the season will be less, but also that they could say, well, we've got prospects that we can move. And in the meantime, the Dodgers under Andrew Friedman have never signed anybody to a $100 million contract.
0: And they're going to have to sign a a couple of those big boys. If you're going to keep Mookie and then, uh, you know, Cody Bellinger is going to look to see what you're giving Mookie Betts. They're going to have to open up the checkbook down in Los Angeles.
4: Well, presumably, I mean, they've said they wanted to keep Betts. And we know that Mookie Betts turned down $300 million from the Red Sox. But on the other hand, you know, times have changed. And we don't know what's going to happen to the economy coming out of this coronavirus crisis so maybe the price will be different but the Dodgers at least have put themselves in a position to avoid being say the Yankees or the Phillies of a previous generation where your roster gets old and expensive all at the same time and so maybe they sign bets but guess what Clayton Kershaw is about to come off the books there's 30 million dollars a year you have
0: And we talked about this earlier today, and since you cover this game nationally, I really want your take on this is, you know, there's the rumors that baseball is looking at playing without fans and getting back on the field when they feel the time is right and it's safe. How big would it be since we're all on lockdown to put baseball back on television, to give people something to watch. I think the ratings would be huge and really would showcase baseball once again as our national pastime. What are you hearing about this, and how big would it be for baseball to get back on the field on television?
4: Well, I, I talked to somebody in the league office the other day, and we were talking about you know what's on the table, and we talked about just how big that table is right now. Everything's on the table. We've never had a situation like this. And so what's happening is everybody's considering all sorts of things that had never been considered before. And one of those things might be, you know, playing without fans for a while. But in order to do that, you've got to know that it's safe. And for anybody to sit here and tell you right now that they know what's going to be safe and where it's going to be safe and when it's going to be safe is crazy because no one knows. So maybe we wake up in two months and find out there are places that are safe and some aren't. Maybe, as in Japan, they were about to start up the season. They thought the worst had passed there. They had players training in isolation, no fans, and all of a sudden, the guy just tested positive. What do you do now?
0: Yeah, that's you know what we've seen with the NBA and what's going to happen with the NFL. It just it's crazy. And we just don't know. And it's just you you wish in a perfect scenario we could get this going again because we know how many people just want, you know, you only watch so many Netflix and do so many puzzles and play Monopoly so much. At some point, people want to see baseball. But when we do get baseball going again, the amount of talent in Southern California right now, when you look at what the Angels have, and you now look at what the Padres have and the Dodgers. There's a, there's a lot of star power in Southern California in baseball right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, you have the MVPs are here, Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout. You have Mookie Betts, who won the MVP in the American League a couple of years ago. You've obviously got you know, Clayton Kershaw still with the Dodgers, Walker Buehler with the Angels, Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani. You know, it's hard to imagine that we've gotten so far without even mentioning the name Albert Pujols, who has three MVPs to his credit. And you're right, Nanny Machado down in San Diego and an incredible cast of young players, most notably Fernando Tatis Jr. So, you know, if there is baseball, it should be pretty good down here.
0: And when you think, let's end on this. Do you think there's going to be – because last year everybody, you know, was winning over 100 games. The dominant teams were feasting on the bad teams. But in a shortened season, craziness could happen. Can you see an underdog really stepping up in a shortened season and and, and really changing what we think the season's going to be like?
4: Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the charms of baseball is that you don't have – a fluke team get in the playoffs hardly ever you know 162 games gives you the peaks and gives you the valleys you know we don't know if the season's going to be 81 games maybe less maybe you have an expanded playoff format uh, both the players and the owners want to consider that for next year that's on that big table as well and so maybe try it this year and see if that makes sense and see how it goes so you know what if you looked at the standings in say middle of may last year i mean the nationals looked terrible but they ended up winning the world series because they played a full season this year there wouldn't have been that kind of story
0: bill thank you so much for the time we always love having you on you're a great follower uh great follow on twitter and love your work and uh be safe down there and good news for the dodgers and and their fans once this gets going again now they can watch the team All all right take care well we want to thank scott emerson Scott Miller, Hembo, and Bill Shaken. We appreciate you listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Now back to A's cast, powered by TuneIn.
2: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.